Hi, Jesse here. Before watching the movie Showgirls or listening to this episode, just a quick warning. Showgirls is a rated NC-17 movie, and for good reason. Among many potentially objectionable things in the movie, it includes a graphic and violent rape scene. And if that's something you choose not to watch or find triggering, of course, that's entirely fine. We do talk about that scene and the rest of the movie on this episode, although we don't use any audio from the scene. Just thought there should be a heads up at the beginning here in case you wanted it. All right, on with the show. You burn when you dance. Yeah, you said I couldn't. Oh, you gotta hold some of it in. You got some shit to learn, dancing ain't fucking. What's that, more wisdom? I know that. No, you don't. You dance like when you fucked that guy last night. What guy? That guy with the chick. You took him in the back. I didn't fuck him. <laughs> yeah, you did. You fucked him and her. Are you following me around? I didn't fuck anybody. Man, I, was I saw you. Man, everybody got AIDS and shit. You know, what is it that you think you do? You fuck them without fucking them. That's what you do. This is In The Cut, and hello, I'm Jesse. We are joined, Aaron and I, Aaron's here as usual, as always, as almost always. Uh, We're joined today by Jenny Benevento, who just told me how to say her last name, and I might have fucked it up anyways. Nope, it's correct. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Jenny is a podcaster uh, with a show called Jenny and Paul Sell Out, um, which is kind of, it's a little bit along the lines if you, the listener, listen to a show that I do called The Crapshoot. It's like that, except Jenny and Paul talk about metal and coffee and stuff um, that, uh, that is one of my interests. Are you, is the Jenny and Paul sellout still going? Yeah, it's, uh, we don't believe in this like regular time schedule, like every week sort of thing. Um, hey, if someone starts giving me money, <laughs> then maybe I would, <laughs> but until then. I, you know, it's about selling out. So until I actually get to sell out, uh, you got to deal with my time schedule. <laughs> I know exactly what that's like. Tell me about what what else you're doing. You um, are a librarian. I am a librarian, um, except I don't work in a library. I do kind of like card catalogs, but for products on the Internet. Hmm. And so my day job is at Etsy.com. Um, so I categorize like all of those things that you saw in Regretsy. Um, <laughs> and in addition, I generally um, do sort of pop culture lecturing. Usually uh, I'm best known for like things about R. Kelly and uh, the insane clown posse and precious moments. So, um, you know, Showgirls is also in my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming back on this show from a bit of a informal, unplanned hiatus And in that time, I was kind of thinking, what I want this to be is we get someone to talk to us and tell us, what's the movie that you're always trying to get people to watch? Or always trying to cajole people into putting on if they've never seen it or whatever. Is Showgirls that movie for you? Uh, Definitely. I mean, I think uh, my first viewing of it was, uh, it came out when I was 16, so I was not able to see it. But I, my first viewing of it was... Everyone from my high school that I knew packed into my living room. And as a 17-year-old, I was able to rent it. So I saw it with like 30 people in my (laughs) living room. (laughs) So since then, yeah, I think I'm somewhat of a defender. And I've come to it from a, ooh, it's this movie about sex and I'm 16, to this is a terrible movie, to now I think I, I, I have a defender. Well, those I want to hit on all three of those points because I think they're all wrapped up in this movie, not just as the movie itself, but also kind of the bizarre ass, you know, midnight movie style legacy it seems to carry with it. Aaron, what was the when was the first time you watched Showgirls? Uh, the first time I watched Showgirls was um, about two weeks ago with you. you. And you've seen plenty of as we have discussed on this podcast we you've seen plenty of paul verhoven movies i do i i spend my time with pop culture but i have my uh my gaps <laughs> you're like soldier of orange i love that film showgirls <laughs> no no idea i uh i rented showgirls at i was 16 
and I tricked my mom into renting it for me because I had to know what the deal was because it, it, it just seemed to have so much uh, mis, mis, an aura, aura of mystery. No one had ever known an NC-17 movie to come to, you know, broad theatrical release before. And there was people just seemed to all know that it was out there. And so I had to kind of see it for myself. So I rented it and I couldn't finish it. It like just watching it just bummed me out. Um, <laughs> I think that's intentional. And I'll say it's hard to get a 16 year old boy to turn off a movie that's 90 percent naked women. But there it went. You know, there it is. It's there's there's not a lot of for the amount of sex. There's not a lot of sexy. No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, I mean, that, that may be coming to it in my 30s. Maybe at 16, it would have. Um, I. I would have more limited options and uh well maybe but yeah i mean it's like anti-erotic in fact i think paul verhoven has described it as deliberately anti-erotic <laughs> but that's one of the, that's one of the big questions of this movie is that is that how he would have described it while he was making it or just with you know 20 years of hindsight <laughs> well i think also I, I think- the th- things that would be sexy about it are very 90s so i think also as someone and as all of us have like lived through the 90s as people past puberty like it just seems real dated like the like even the sexy lingerie is so 90s um so even if you were to find i mean i agree i think that he intentionally makes it kind of not sexy but uh even the things that would have been mildly sexy now just seem real dated to me you know anybody here you got any family that you can call i don't have any family where are you from? Back east. From where back east? Different places. I mean, it is remembered as one of the worst films of all time, right? It shows up on lists like that. And it's funny because um, a couple months ago, a, a friend of the show, Yakov uh, Grinberg, was just posted on Twitter a little teeny little screen grab off of Paul Verhoeven's Wikipedia page. You know, it's a list of awards he's received, you know, his filmography and awards he's received. 1987, RoboCop, Saturn Award for Best Director. 1990, Total Recall, 1992, Basic Instinct, 1995, Showgirls, Razzie Award for Worst Director. (laughs) And you can really, you can kind of summarize that eight years of his, uh, how the world saw him in, in that kind of little miniature arc there. Why do you think everybody hated it so much? Because I think that's kind of the first phase that Jenny was talking about in how you come at this film. I'm I'm just going to say just because it's a crazy mess. Um, (laughs) uh, I I think some of that may in retrospect be a little more intentional than. uh, But, you know, I I think everyone who went to see it was going to see Basic Instinct 2. And it was not that. Yeah, I mean, I think for such a bad movie or a movie that's known for bad things. Like I think, you know, a good example is the room. The room is a bad movie because you have no idea what's going on. It's the set is terrible. Every actor is terrible. And it's funny because this is like the bad movie that we know about that. None of that is true. Like the set and the direction and it looks great. Everything about it is great in that way, but it's just, and it, the plot makes sense. It's just not good. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So I mean, I think it's interesting because it's technically, an excellent film uh, in that way. But it, it, but plot wise, I mean, a lot of it to me, the plot is about how, you know, everyone who is an entertainer is a whore. Right. <laughs> and everyone is a whore. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone is a whore, but particularly in entertainment. And that's bad. <laughs> and you've got to sell out to uh, be successful. So, I mean, I can see how Hollywood might not take that very well. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And and I think that it's I think you're right that I think there's a lot of like technical prowess on display. I think right from the very first opening shot, you can see a lot of really good camera movement like jumped out at me after watching it a couple times. Like you kind of have to watch it two or three times to start to appreciate the subtler things like how it's shot and how it's made, because there's stuff going on on the screen almost every moment that makes you think like, what the fuck is this movie? (laughs) Like what's going on? Stuff that would normally be obvious, like awesome, like dolly movements and stuff. You kind of don't see at first just because you're so like we were joking before we started recording. You you come out of the movie feeling like like you just left a two and a half hour fugue state. (laughs) Um, well, 
yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like being in Las Vegas, right? Right. Um, the first time you've been to Las Vegas, it's kind of like that. There's just blinky lights everywhere, and, and instead of blinky lights, it's it's boobs, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think also just technically the story-wise, like, even if you don't like the story, it's the foreshadowing is so heavy-handed, and everything <laughs> connects in a, like, operatic way, where it's like, in the beginning... Someone talks about these stairs. Spoiler, in the end, those stairs will be very important. Or like, you know, everything is paralleled. Right, not only that, but they joke about pushing down the stairs and yes. stuff. It's like, it's even more on the nose than on the nose, yeah. <laughs> right, and just everyone's, like, ascent and descent is, like, a parallel. You know, how Zach treats Crystal and is how Zach treats Nomi, you know? So, I, I mean, I think it's just so consistent in that way. Uh, it's. I mean, it's clearly someone who's very good at writing Hollywood scripts. Hmm. This was the same director from Basic Instinct, right? And same writer. So, I'm sorry. And what what else had he done? I uh, I know he did Sliver. Yeah, mo- most of the evil lesbians canon from the '90s. <laughs> he did Flashdance. Oh, um, he loves dance, you guys. Um, <laughs> loves dance, h- hates lesbians. <laughs> Does he hate them? I mean, I well, he has a complicated relationship. <laughs> well, he hates them and is frightened by them. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I, this is something I wanted to ask you guys because I've seen it so many times. I'm kind of like, I wonder what you get on the first watch. I mean, I guess is everyone sort of a lesbian? <laughs> like in terms of, I I think is is anyone's sexuality fixed? Uh, men. <laughs> yeah, I guess that. Well, that's no, right. There are no, no men seem to kiss each other except, well, I guess there's the, the showrunner guy who seems pretty like a gay caricature. And the gay dancers who there's one straight male dancer. Oh, right. And they then they uh, chastise him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, all homosexuals are bad. And yeah. yet the, the, the female like lead choreographer that keeps doing the rehearsals with them. Um, reads as straight, but her name is gay. <laughs> I know! <laughs> like, that is so weird to me. It's such a weird thing to put in that, in in the movie. You know what? My head hurts, my dick hurts, and you got me fired from my fucking job! Yeah, well, shit happens, you know? Shit happens. What? That's it? That's what I get? Fucking wisdom? That's it? Yeah, that's it. You get wisdom. Guess what? You're not just a pain in my head and a pain in my dick, you're also a pain in my ass. Life sucks, you know? Life sucks, shit happens. Where you get this stuff, off of t-shirts? So, yeah, it's a, it's funny because, I mean, everybody has a memory of this movie being, the, you know, so awful, but then, again, it's also kind of like, conversely and, and almost is a contradiction, it's super, it's the highest grossing NC-17 film ever made. It's in the top 20 highest grossing MGM films ever made. And, you know, it's all of that, of course, comes after the theatrical release, which was a huge bomb. But I think people kind of flock to it in in like that kind of cult movie midnight showing kind of way and have an affection for it. Yeah. um, So I. Oh, God. It also had sex. Yeah. But I especially now there's a lot of other places to get sex that are actually (laughs) sexy, possibly. (laughs) <laughs> but but there were those like four years before you had the internet in a small town. That- That's true. So I, I read a little bit about this movie and um, it, Joe Esterhaus says that he wanted to make an MGM musical. That is what this movie is for him. Hmm. And uh, people have said it has parallels to All About Eve and 42nd Street. And it is. It's about like a starlet. I mean, without the sex and the Vegas part, it's about, you know, a star, a girl who's not a star who topples the famous actress slash superstar to then get sucked into the system herself right so it is a very classic trope um it just happens to be with naked women i mean when you're watching this movie do you get the impression that he he, the writer does it seem like he and paul verhoeven are like working across purposes like he didn't write it to be this kind of like overwrought (laughs) like intentionally kind of surreally bad movie but paul verhoeven did well, yes, he's he's the Robert Heinlein of his times, I think. I think he totally is. I think he is. I mean, like, that's what Starship Troopers is, right? Right. And he did Starship Troopers. I, and I think uh, I think Esther Haas is excess in Hollywood, kind of Brett Easton Ellis style. 
and Verhoeven is very clear in everything he's ever said about this movie, which is it's a critique of Hollywood. It's a critique of the business and how it uses women. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, there's no argument that it's, there's a lot of good filmmaking on display, like we were saying, but there's also like, it's, there's stuff that's really hard to go to bat for in just how fucking weird and off kilter <laughs> is going on. Like, like we were saying about the, just like, what is this movie? Which just everybody is thrashing around. Like they're having a seizure in every scene. It was, and like uh, I was about to use the word thrashing. Thrashing is like the key word. I mean, that must and have come out of Verhoeven's mouth while while he was directing it pretty did. It often. Totally it totally did. So, I just saw a video about it where he says that's what's sexy. He wanted every move to be like a snap, a fast kick, like gesture. He, and he mentioned that sexy, which I do not think. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who that's so sexy. I mean, I guess he is Germanic, but uh, uh, he's Dutch or whatever. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wonder how much of that is how is like the violence aspect of this movie. Mm. I don't know. It, right. I, I mean, every physical movement feels violent. Like you're saying that kind of like whip snap of every single body movement, whether they're, you know, doing a performance or just like walking down the street or rather <laughs> running into the street in front of a random car, which keeps happening. When, whenever I, I came back to thinking about this movie and trying to kind of answer that question of, um, you know, how how intentional is is anything in this movie. Um, (laughs) And, and, and I, I think I come down on it's, it's all pretty intentional. Very early on. There's just a scene of uh, people eating French fries. Um, That stood out for you as well. Yeah. I wrote it down. I wrote it down in all caps, how they fucking eat. That's like my first note. (laughs) And then under that, I wrote fries slash ketchup. But that scene is like, just, like down it's so choreographed they have like a little ketchup cannon off to the side that like she's not actually splashing that ketchup the you know actress across from her is has got you know stage notes to react to the ketchup spurt it's just this you know amazingly choreographed scene of thrashing around spilling french fries that, I, I don't know that that little ketchup spurt was in the script um um Maybe we I, should defer to Jenny well, to be we'll a tiebreaker on that question. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think every a, she's a dancer, so everything is choreographed. But I mean, I think it's a passion. It's a it's an example of her passion. Like she literally runs out of every single scene. There is no scene which she exits <laughs> in any way other than running out, flouncing, slamming the door. Right. She shouts in someone's face and then storms out of the room every single scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no scene. No, no one in this film feels eh about anything. Right. <laughs> But yeah, and then like when she's driving in the car and she's like shoving the burger all over her face. <laughs> it, it was a theme how she likes real food and not brown rice, brown rice and vegetables. vegetables. She likes it's, smearing it's a, real food everywhere. A symbol of her passion. Right. It's probably because she got um she she grew up eating dog food out of hey, dog hey, bowls. Uh, we got to the dog food. <laughs> I have I have a, a baby xenophobic theory. Um this is Paul Verhoeven's commentary about America, all she eats is burgers and fries. Mm. It's about excess. I mean, I, that's that would be my theory. Maybe I'm reading too much into this film, but that is my theory. I mean, Verhoeven's on record saying, like, you know, please don't blame her. Please don't blame Elizabeth Berkeley for that performance, whether you loved it or not. That was me just telling her, dial it up to 900 million percent in every single scene, because that was the movie I was trying to make. I think that's an interesting thing, because this movie is kind of known as ruining her career, right. which is the exact point of the film is like Hollywood will use you up right. and exploit you and then you'll be screwed, which is it like came true for her. I think there's a lot there to talk about because I think that it, it's it's weird because people come away from this movie thinking Elizabeth Berkley totally, totally bit it on this one and she never should have left Saved by the Bell and what is she even doing and turns out she's awful and bloody, bloody, blah. And yet Gina, uh, Gina Gershon totally skates through the whole thing and everybody who watches this movie feels like, well, she's in on it, right? Like she's the person on stage who gets it, gets what she's doing and is leaning into it and having fun. But I don't know if a totally objective read of the movie supports one over the other getting it more than the other, or maybe it does. What I mean, do you guys feel like one seems like she really gets the kind of, like, knows what kind of movie she's in and the other doesn't? 
And why doesn't this ruin Kyle McLaughlin's career? Like, you know, I I mean, there's like lots of other actors who have terrible performance or terrible, quote unquote, performances. Like, I, yeah, I guess I don't get why it goes down on Elizabeth Berkley. But he was never, I mean, he's not like an actor. Is he? (laughs) You just look at him do his thing and it's, it's fun. He's, he's, he's got a weird affect. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I agree, but I think everyone in this movie is good at being looked at. Like, that's sort of all of their jobs. <laughs> it, but yeah, it does seem like Elizabeth Berkeley got poisoned by the movie in a way that no one else quite did. And, I, and I, I'm not sure why. I mean, I guess... Oh, I'm sure everyone loves to hate on a, you know, a teen star trying to do a real movie. Right. And this was a perfect opportunity to do that. Yeah, and that's true. Gia Gershon has said that she was in on it, quote unquote, and again, who knows? Like, again, this is very the room. Like, uh, you know, he says he's in on it. Nah, he was always in on it. It was always meant to be funny. Gina Gershon, you know, 15 years later says, she, you know, she was always in on it. Mm. So who knows? And that's another question, too, is, um, I mean, does it add to or detract from the enjoyment of kind of the what the fuckery of the movie if you know that it was somewhat deliberate? I mean, one of the attractions of the movie The Room is that it just seems so earnest from the get go. And it wouldn't it it, it kind of would be disappointing to find out that the mo- the room was a just a ma- huge contrivance and was designed to kind of be this you know, kind of cult film as opposed to an incredibly ultra sincere expression of this kind of wild guy's ideas of what a movie should be like. Does it take away from showgirls that if it was kind of cynically designed to be a bad, quote unquote bad movie from the beginning? I, I don't believe it. It was. So I don't know. I can't <laughs> <laughs> but it was meant to be like overwrought and, and, and kind of uh, like kind of that, that fake veneer overacting thing that, that seems like a bad movie at first blush or, you know, a movie that's trying to be good gone horribly awry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I, I'm maybe this is cause I've just gone too far into it, but I feel like <laughs> I have gone to the other side where it totally succeeds at what it's trying to do, which is like make an excessive, I mean, it's wall street to me. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's a display of, of ex- excess and how it ruins you except with a lady of sex. So maybe that's, you know, not as well received. I don't know. Hi, my name is Heather. Hey, you know me. I love your nails. We'd like you to have a private dance with both of us. We don't do that. One at a time, no women. A hundred dollars. Sorry, that's the rules. Two hundred. You just do Zach and I'll watch. Five hundred. Done. I said done. I guess as first-time viewers, what is horrible about this movie to you? Like, what is... Is it the story? Is it the weird lines? I mean, obviously, it's lots of things. But, like, what is the worst part of this movie to you? After, you know, turning it off halfway through at age 16, I... Uh, did I hardly spared it a thought except uh, last year it came to a local movie theater, the Hollywood Theater in Portland, in Hecklevision, where everyone watches it and kind of, you know, texts, mystery science theater style subtitles pop up on the bottom of the screen, um, kind of riffing on what's going on. And so that was actually the first time I got to see the entire movie was just as a spectacle slash, you know, object of derision. I mean, what's what seems to make it a bad movie is that the the plot is ultra predictable and all the performances l- seem like insane fucking like cocaine addled after school special, you know, performances. Everyone is literally taking cocaine constantly, right. <laughs> <laughs> which seems yeah, really eighties to me. Yeah. Oh, it's it's Vegas. There's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the eighties in Vegas. I mean, one thing that makes me want to say that it it maybe just is a bunch of bad performances is if we wanted it to be a story about people going to Vegas and being turned into these hollowed out, you know, crazy overwrought people, then wouldn't you want the characters to start being a little by being a little bit like normal or identifiable (laughs) in any way? And then in Vegas, they turn into these kind of psycho cartoon after school special monsters. Yeah. I think everyone involved in this business is terrible is sort of the statement. I mean, I think she like, okay, so again, a spoiler, if you have not seen the film, uh, you know, she's been a prostitute her whole life. We get this impression that she hasn't had the best life, 
but she's trying to turn that around by going to Vegas. I do want to go back is... to the dog food. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, no, we will go back to Puppy Town. But it's very curious that anyone would be like, A, my life is about dancing, and I want to clean up my act and not hook, not be a hooker. I know, Vegas. Right. Um, which seems weirdly naive, and um, so she's drawn back into that world by this, you know, uh, c- celebrity sort of all the bad people involved in that world. No, I agree. I mean, I don't think saying uh, this is a bad movie with bad performances is being devil's advocate. I think that's actually pretty standard. <laughs> um, I guess I, I'm not saying, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think it's more that I feel that Paul Verhoeven did accomplish what he set out to do. I don't think he thinks it's a bad right. performance. Yeah. He, right. he made the piece of art he wanted to make. Even in Paul Verhoeven's best movies, there's, you know, they are not known for their stellar performances. I don't <laughs> think he necessarily gets the most out of his actors in uh, Total Recall or RoboCop. Or subtlety. He's not known for mm-hmm. subtlety. Very, right. very sad. I mean, because if, if you were coming to this movie expecting it to be a movie that was good in a traditional way, and you were assuming that the director was trying to make a straight-on, you know, non-satirical, non-farcical movie, then you would be forgiven for coming away thinking he was he was a spectacular failure, like most <laughs> reviewers of the time did. But if you come at it with the idea that, he, you know, this is what he was trying to make, an, a deliberately kind of, like, phony, overwrought, ultra, like, everything is super bright, everything is super exaggerated, everything is super, everybody is super miserable and, and awful to each other, and that that was always the plan from the get-go, then you could say that would it was a success if that's what you are going to decide he was trying to do, but it seems like you could try to do that and still fail, and I was, and, and I'm wondering, like, how do you evaluate his success or failure of trying to make a movie that you can't really judge by the normal criteria of nuanced performances and you know balance and you know a story a satisfying story and stuff i mean i think the fact that no one receives it correctly quote unquote (laughs) uh is a good uh meter for that um and i think it's interesting that you know it gets these sort of razzy mst3k performances and um, you know, for years I watched it that way, and there was always this one sticking point to me in that whole, let, ha-ha, this is a really funny movie. Um, uh, you know, even though left and right women are sort of being degraded. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, and not through the film. I mean, within the film, within the context of the film, not by being naked. I mean, like, terrible things happen to women constantly in this movie, intentionally. Right, that's right. They're all portrayed as, like, shrewd and, you know, <laughs> undermining. And I don't think it's even that. I think, like, you know, uh, if you're going to work at the Cheetah, you got to give the guy a blowjob. Right. If you're going to, you know, I mean, I think it's a hard world, right? And and um, and then there's there's a rape scene. <laughs> um, right. Which kind of any, it, it's kind of the, the downside of any party where you're making fun of this movie, where it comes out of kind of nowhere, you know, at this high point of the movie where everything's great. And um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's hard to watch in a way, in any way that's satirical or ironical. Yeah. And I remember from the, um, the Hecklevision viewing that all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> jokes stopped for a little bit. And, and this, you know, what was appearing on the screen was, okay, everybody who doesn't want to see this, go ahead and leave the room for 15 minutes because, you know, here comes this fucking bullshit to, you know, pop the balloon of having fun, you know, laughing at or with this movie because it's really grueling and miserable and upsetting. Yeah. And kind of weirdly realistic in the way that, I mean, especially post this movie where it's like a celebrity who a woman who loves this celebrity and would willingly have sex with him chooses to rape her. Right. Um, which is like kind of actually right on for what rape actually is <laughs> um, as opposed to like, I can't have sex with this hot girl, so I guess I'll rape her. Right. Yeah, and then, like, his whole group of people in a hotel room. It's just so very reminiscent of every, you know, celebrity slash athlete who does this. Um, and it comes out and did she or didn't she? We're going to cover it up sort of situation. Right. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's really astute to point that out because it's you're right. It's not like the guy with the black hood stalking you on your you know way home from work when the streetlights go out. It's like the person you know you wanted to be with until it took a turn, and then you know that's that that that's as much of an aspect of the reality of the situation as or much more than like the Law and Order Special Victims Unit you know version <laughs> of reality. 
that seems to always appear in movies instead. The guy stalking her, which is James, the dancer, um, she ends up liking, but right. he's clearly stalking her. Right, right, and he, right, and he, you know, marries a woman. <laughs> you know, he's, he's sort of is upstanding in his own weird way. Yeah. Um, the movie wants us to like him. I was thinking, like, who are we supposed to like and not like in this movie? Well, I th- I don't think you're. I think you're supposed to start out liking everyone and then decide you hate them at a certain point. And and basically, you're supposed to end up hating everyone except for um, her friend, Molly. Molly, who like is is like the one unsullied character, and of course is the one who gets targeted by this brutal, like miserable rape scene just to punish <laughs> her for being the good person in the movie. Uh, so I think it's because you know the whole movie she's like, don't get tied up in it, don't get tied up in it. And then the one time Molly falls and gets tied up in it because Andrew Carver is coming to the party. And even though she's on the outs with Nomi for for selling out, she shows up because she wants to meet Andrew Carver and she gets punished. Hmm. Selling out and attempted murder. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The attempted murder is the greatest mystery because what is on her nipples? That is really the question of this movie. Uh, I'm going to have to go back for that. Oh, when she shows up to take revenge and she has lipstick on her nipples. (laughs) But it makes a noise when he bites her nipple. (laughs) It's like rubber or something. I don't know what that is. I, yeah. Is it, is there like a director's cut where it turns out she is a (laughs) robot and like she's using the body of like a rubber sex doll that would be amazing maybe (laughs) it's supposed to say she's a sex doll paul verhoeven has it in him to make that movie i think yeah that was a surreal scene and i mean really start starting with the you know not to continually return to this part of the movie but it's kind of obviously sticks out is the starting with the rape scene the last 30 minutes of the movie really just seemed like a prototypical Quentin Tarantino like revenge movie to me when I watch it that way it doesn't seem that weird it just seems like what we're kind of used to movies doing now which is make us feel really really awful and then I guess kind of like stoke our lust for revenge and then pay that off he he says it's the only exploitation movie that was made in the 90s (laughs) that's his read on this movie Tarantino's right. Yes. I wonder if you can get away with like decrying, not you, anyone on this show, but like a viewer of the movie who who considers it like a fun, kitschy romp, except for that one scene. Um, can you get away with just decrying that scene, but then, you know, enjoying ultra similar stuff in Kill Bill or, you know, whatever? Well, and there's the other sort of rape scene where they are at the boat show. Right. That's more of a date rape scene, I guess. Right. Um, I guess they're both sort of date rape. Um, right, and the return of this the super racist um, Asian businessman <laughs> stereotype. Yeah, um, Paul Verhoeven and the Japanese. Right. Or the 90s, generally in America, and the Japanese. Yo, what's the deal with the with the Asians in this film? I don't know. Was there, wasn't there a character like that in one of the Robocops, too? And, and oh, in, in every movie he's ever made, in I every imagine. movie he's ever made, possibly. <laughs> and pretty much every movie made from, you know, 1985 to 1995, the, the Japanese were really scary. They were going to take away our car manufacturing or something. They were, they were going to get us. So I, I made sure to figure right. this out. At the boat show, that guy is technically supposed to be from Bangkok. Oh, and yeah, hmm. and he looks Japanese to me. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was not a Thai gentleman. <laughs> yeah. So, um, is it just Asians in general? Is it Bangkok is funny? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I giggled. Just now. <laughs> yeah. Right. One day she looks like Pollyanna. The next day she looks like I don't know Lolita maybe. <laughs> nice dress. Thanks. I bought it at Versace. In the forum? Oh, yeah, Versace. I love Versace. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Okay, you know Marty? Hi. Hi. Gay's our line captain. Hi. Hi. (laughs) If you let me down, I could lose my reputation for being such an all-knowing prick. I worked very hard for that reputation, so don't do it. Deal? Deal. Uh, So are you ever supposed to like Zach? I don't know. I mean, he maybe this is a clever inversion. He always just seems like a trophy, right? He's always just arm candy for whoever's at the top of the 
the show, the Vegas show that that everyone's always kind of climbing to, to. He just goes along with that, right? He's the he's part of the prize of being the the lead in the show. But he also but, takes a chance on her to be the lead of the show. So why are why? I I, th- I think it, you're supposed to trust him as she trusts him, so that as you know, so it can be another thing taken away. So you so you get to the bottom. So the revenge feels good again. Or, uh, but you know before she does that he was cool with her sleeping with the Thai slash Japanese businessman. Right, because he makes that call while she will. Right, she that it was cool away. that they were basically day raping her. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's again. You're, you, the movie wants to make everyone a decent seeming character at first, and then drag them through the muck by the end. Um, can we go back to the dog food? <laughs> okay, we can go back to the doggy chow. I don't even know <laughs> um, where to start, but uh, that scene happened. I w- yeah, I was like pacing while that scene was on because I'm like, is this where, how, what is it even coming from? This <laughs> There's a lot of commentary about how that scene is clearly a man writing dialogue for how he thinks women talk to one another, which I think makes a lot of sense. So uh, is your question about Doggy Chow, why... Is it pointed out that they were they grew up poor or um why why is it pointed out in the way it was not just pointed out that they have had to eat dog food in their past but the great enjoyment that they took because <laughs> that's how um, desperate they were I think <laughs> but these are they're they're sharing fond memories of their days of dog food because keeping it they're keeping it real like when they were poor they were still happy (laughs) like molly is but now that they're all wrapped up in this crystal forum plaza versace they're doing Mm -hmm. coke and fucking (laughs) randoms so okay i guess that yeah dog food is just on the other end of the spectrum between um brown rice and vegetables burgers and then you have dog food so that's real uh Oh, I, I think it was supposed to be on the other end of the of the spectrum from the crystal. In money wise, yeah. Okay. Well, well, yeah. this is a multi layered movie that can work on many axes. Yeah, I'm <laughs> both money and food enjoyment. I, every sentence I start talking to try and criticize something about this movie, and by the end of the <laughs> sentence, I'm defending it. That's because you've been wrapped up in this in this glitter and glitz as well. Oh no! <laughs> um, the music's really awesome in this movie. It brought me back to a time. Yeah, it's very '90s, but it's like real. Pe- it's like Prince. Like, why did Prince write songs for this movie? <laughs> I remember people not liking the music in it. I mean, the original music in it, the songs that they all dance to, is always it's cheesy. A little bit... It's vague, it's cheesy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But but that's the part that was supposed. But again, to be I cheesy. guess it, right. It's you're either making the movie where the music and dancing is as awesome as you can possibly make it on screen, or you're making the movie where it feels like tinny and and hollow like Vegas. And I guess they're you know it's just another way that they were going for the latter and not the former. Yeah, I don't know. What's what? Aside from the Prince song, I can't. I have a hard time summoning any particular there, music that jumps. There's out David at me. What Bowie's "I'm like, Afraid Danny? of Americans," which is so heavy-handed of a statement. Paul Verhoeven. There's Thrill Kill Cult. I mean, I, I. It's not even so much. I mean, I do like the music, but I feel like it's interesting to me that Esther Haas wanted to make a quote-unquote MGM musical, and then they actually did get really good music for this dance movie, and then it's completely buried in all this other, like, crazy lines, and yeah. yeah. Right, they don't use it for the dancing scenes. No, not at all. Right. I mean, I guess the James dance scene has that has a Prince song. Don't they have brown rice and vegetables? Do you like brown rice and vegetables? Yeah. You do. Sort of. Really? It's worse than dog food. <laughs> it is. I've had dog food. You have? Mm-hmm. Long time ago. Doggy chow. I used to love doggy chow. (laughs) I used to love doggy chow, too. A case can be made that this movie is just what it set out to be, but I think it's also... I mean, I think that the writer, the director, and the actors wanted to make a movie that people would like, 
and that was not what happened when the movie came out. I think that the writer and the actors did. <laughs> I do think that you're right. You said early on that there were people at cross purposes. <laughs> I, based on what little I've read, Paul Verhoeven was surprised that it wasn't that it wasn't better received. Yeah, but I think he, I mean he probably feels the way about same way about Starship Troopers. I think, and I think it's similarly cross purpose. Um, in that, like, it's it was billed as like an awesome action movie, but in fact, it's like a huge criticism of war um, and propaganda. Whereas I think this is the exact same thing, where it was billed as this sexy time movie, and it's actually a huge criticism of like Hollywood and entertainment and porn, probably, and strip clubs. <laughs> I, and I think that's a super good comparison to make, but I do think that Starship Troopers, kind of, people kind of got it. I agree. I mean, I think if you did a survey of the critical response to Starship Troopers at the time it was still in theaters, I think it was kind of a coin flip of whether they seemed to get it or not. And I don't think anybody saw uh, Showgirls the way we're talking about when it was in theaters. Oh, I, I agree. I don't think, I think anyone's really clicked with it. So do, do you think that, I mean, how could it... What could have saved it in the sense that it, it was people were clued into it or it kind of worked better on that level? Is there what is there any change that could be made that wouldn't also kind of deflate the rest of the movie? I really don't know. I mean, I think the thing that's so distracting all of the time is the lines that are like unbelievable. <laughs> um, and like, I think that you can't take a movie seriously when someone like says it must be weird not having anyone come on you. Like that's like, right. you can't make a political statement in, the, in a movie where that is being said <laughs> in a heartwarming way. Right. <laughs> right. Or when, when she says, um, I'm on my period and then tells him to check and then he checks. Well, but and periods it's like... are super weird in this movie because they're just totally used as a tool to like trick dudes who don't like. <laughs> yeah. It's another way that it seems really written by a man where it's just like, I'm a woman, period, pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and he's okay with having sex with her on her period, but for some reason it's a reason. Yeah, that is a totally <laughs> weird scene. <laughs> I imagine if anyone is listening to this and has not seen Showgirls, they're like, what is this movie about? <laughs> it's weirder than we're making it sound. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. And I wonder if part of it also is that action movies in the vein of Starship Troopers are already so and I don't know the best word for this, but like templatized in that you kind of already know all the little kind of plot beats and character notes and things that you can, it's so much easier to get that it's sort of lampooning it at the same time. It's kind of joyfully celebrating it at the same time. It's kind of saying it's all fascistic nightmare because there's so many more kind of stylistic hooks to connect to. And it seems like showgirls isn't, can't really be connected to as many movies or such a gigantic specific genre with its own tropes in the same way Starship Troopers could. Maybe that was part of what made it harder to I see mean, it's, that way. It's just easier, it's easier to satirize uh, violence than it is to satirize sex. Um, and I, hmm. I mean, I think a lot of that is just that we are used to it. You know, we, we have a body of work, you know, satirizing violent movies or at least, you know, you can also enjoy a violent movie without getting that it's satirizing violence. And I think maybe the answer to your earlier question of like, how would this movie be more successful is if it were actually pornography. Yes. <laughs> uh, because I think it, it's hard. It's hard to make a point about how it's bad to be titillated by this product that screws over a lot of people without being titillated by that product, you know? So, hmm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I think, I mean, one thing I think Verhoeven gets away with, and we talked about this in a Robocop episode and maybe in the Starship Troopers episode too, is that he kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too by making the violence fun and cool and edgy and cool special effects and, you know, oh, awesomely yeah. choreographed. And you do get to enjoy it on that level. And yet with Showgirls, I mean, I guess you get to enjoy the fact that you're looking at naked women, but it's just not, it's not, a, it's not erotic or sexy in the way that, like, the violence in RoboCop is kind of, like, cool. At the same time, it's kind of satirizing violence in movies. I, I think he might have wanted it to be, though, right? It's Unsexy or sexy? No, sexy. You think he wanted it to be sexy? I, I, yeah, I think so. Okay. I agree. Yeah. But, 
if if this is you know the RoboCop of sex, um, <laughs> is my band name. I call it. Uh, um, but I call it is, as, as my porn name. Um, RoboCock. <laughs> That's your porn film. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron, you were making. A- I'm I'm just gonna look up RoboCock when we get off, but. Um, <laughs> Saw the show. You were good. Thank you, Al. Real good. You take care, kid. Must be weird not having anybody come on you. I think, have you guys, have either of you seen or know much about Caligula, the film Caligula? <laughs> I know, um, I know it was like legendarily upsetting to its audience, yeah, but right. I don't so know it was much like about this it. 10 hour, I mean, I don't really know. I think the la- the cut ends up being like four hours and it's, you know, this Bob Guccione produced Roman nice. epic that is supposed to actually have like fisting in it and be really extreme mm. and show the excess of of the Roman times as a satire of the current times, you know, it's like 79. And I wonder if this is just the same thing. Huh. And it kind of yeah. ruined Belka McDowell's career for a while because <laughs> he was like the main <laughs> actor. Um, so, I mean, I right. guess I wonder if there's just like every 20 years you, we have to make this movie, which means we're due for one. Have we already had it? Did we just, <laughs> did we just miss out? <laughs> <laughs> we're too old to understand it now. It's the next Caligula is oh. on Snapchat or some shit. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's a vine. <laughs> it's so instead of being ten hours long, it's just the most awful ten seconds you can ever conceive. Well, I think maybe like um, you know, but it loops. That's the problem. <laughs> maybe hostile. I mean, that's how people. I mean, that's more of a horror film. But like, I think people feel the same way about what I mean. Uh, God, what's the phrase they use for it? Um, torture porn. Torture porn. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I, I, I feel like that's a separate thing that's on its own little loop. Is you know you get your Sam Peckinpah and your sure Tarantino and your you know I think the uh, trope of though let's criticize the industry we're in uh, <laughs> and how it deals with women and sex is like that happens every three years probably in Hollywood. <laughs> well, so in in um because I had such a hard time kind of pinning down my own schedule and, and recording this episode, I kept watching Showgirls thinking I was about to record an episode about it. And, and then somehow me dropping the ball on the schedule or forgetting to follow up or doing something. So, hey, thank you, Jenny, for making time and working with my kind of uh, uh, moving target of a recording time. But B, I've also like just watched this movie so fucking much in the last month <laughs> or two. I'm, I, I, I can totally agree with the defense's we've come up with here and the intentionality of all the things that are like phony and overwrought and uh, bizarre and kind of hellish and weird to watch, but also really funny and surreal. I can agree with all of those defenses, but I can also be like probably done with this movie for a little while I can myself. See that. I mean, I think <laughs> for, it's a, little for like, a little while. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I do watch it like a couple times a year. So um, <laughs> I mean, I think in a lot of ways, if you watch it more as, this is a dystopian movie uh, where like a person has to wage their way, a vaguely okay person has to wage their way through uh, a shit show of assholes, <laughs> um, you know, in a Mad Max style. Like, I think that it could be more enjoyable in that way. Isn't that every Paul Verhoeven film? Yes. In the 90s. Yeah, the yeah. 90s. <laughs> Gosh, can we come up with a list of movies that a vaguely okay person has to wade through a shit show of assholes? I mean, Describes. Wall Street is that movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think that was when I was 16. That was what put me off it so much. It just didn't seem... I just felt gross watching it. Oh, He's erect. I, I, Why aren't you erect? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I would love to close on that. That's right. perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for making the time to do this. It was super fun. No problem. Um, I love this movie. So yeah, <laughs> I love talking about this movie. It's so, well, I think I've just thought about this movie more than most people. So. <laughs> more than the reviewers of the time, that's for sure. <laughs> I think we've established that, and uh, I uh, hope we get a chance to do this again sometime soon. Yeah, totally. I um, 
I think we should do some torture porn. I'll see. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> get a stomach for it. First, I have to come down from the fucking weird drug trip that is watching Showgirls four times in a month. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you should just integrate a lot of the the sayings from this movie into your life. That's, that's probably yeah. a good time. I'm from lots of places. <laughs> Slam. I, so Slam. But before we go, just you you want to just uh, pull some quotes. I don't know what lines. What lines are popping into mind for you, Aaron? Oh boy! Everybody got AIDS and shit. <laughs> That's got AIDS actually shit. the one. That's the one, huh? I'm just gonna. I'm gonna take yours. That's gonna be my <laughs> line. He gets a lot of the good lines. Yeah, he's actually fun. I think there's a lot of moments where he's he's really biting into the role and having fun with it. And I don't know. He's. Mm-hmm. I like when he's on screen about fifty percent of the time. Yeah. It's just that every time he's supposed to say something, there's no contextual clues what emotion he's supposed to be portraying. <laughs> My favorite line in this movie is, Nyeh! and that's what they say when they dance every 10 seconds, everybody. With the, with the arm motion? Or just whatever part of their body is thrashing like it just got a jolt of electricity through it. Thrust it! Thrust yes, it. thrust it! Yeah, I think that, that image of a, a clearly gay man Shouting into Elizabeth Berkeley's <laughs> crotch, thrust it is. That was yeah, a, a lovely thirty seconds of cinema. How did we talk for an hour about this movie and not talk about the weirdest fucking sex scene in the history oh, of all cinema? <laughs> Holy fuck! I mean, I guess we talked about thrashing a lot, which is ninety nine percent of that scene. But oh my lord, um, I don't. I just felt like I was going crazy while I watched it. Like, not going crazy like I'm really excited, this is great, but going crazy like I'm going to fucking wake up in a straitjacket because I do not understand. I think it's a movie. It's like someone who has never had sex before they have that. And I do wonder if it's supposed to be, well, I wonder if it's supposed to be like her crazy lap dances or how sure her crazy dance moves. I don't know. And she's just like drowning under that <laughs> fountain of. I don't even want to say it. It's so upsetting. <laughs> water, ostensibly dolphin, water. Dolphin vomit. <laughs> dolphin jizzing all over her with gallons. It's it's not erotic in any. Do you think that's intentionally not erotic? I, I cannot possibly. I cannot possibly live in a world where someone fucking put that cut together and is like, that's going to fucking get some motors running. <laughs> the that's going to fucking rev them up. <laughs> where anyone, uh, if, if you can think of something, there's porn about it. That is the yeah. one thing that, that there is not. All right. I got to stop talking about showgirls before <laughs> I just fall back into a fugue state. Now I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all used up. I'm all burned out. <laughs> Thanks again. This is really, really great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron, I guess. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, I'm hitting stop. I used to love doggy chow too.